grab your bulletin, and there is an outline. I do have an outline today uh, in your bulletin. So, uh, yeah, so I was on task this week, so, sort of. Um, but anyways, hey, if you're a guest with us for the first time, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here, and there's also a connection card in your bulletin. You'll take a moment to uh, fill that out with, with as much information as you feel comfortable giving to us, and you can uh, drop it at a basket at the exit, and there is a gift for you on, on your way out this morning. So we're just glad that you're here. We're, gonna, we're in a series of messages entitled A New Beginning, and uh, this series is based upon a story that Jesus gave called most commonly known as the story of the prodigal son, although it is really a story about two lost sons. And uh, so we're going to just diverge from that just a little bit, although um, it does tie together uh, with today's message in that when the younger son came to his father and demanded his inheritance, in essence saying to his father, I wish you were dead, I want what is mine, what is rightfully mine, I want it now, uh, this, this son was uh, probably a teenager, and uh, the scripture tells us that he took all that the father gave him, went out and squandered it on wild living. So you can imagine, you can fill in the blanks on the wild living, whatever that might have uh, constituted for him. Uh, certainly we do know in the complaint of his older brother when he returned uh, that a part of that was in, you know, paying for prostitutes. So, uh, so it was not until uh, this younger son had lost all of his money, he had no friends left, he starts working for a pig farmer, he finds himself longing for the food of the pigs, smelling like a pig, that he finally comes to his senses and he returns back to his father. And of course, Jesus' whole purpose in this parable is to show us, to display for us the response of the father. How is the father going to respond to this son of his who had already wished he were dead and has taken his portion of the inheritance and he has squandered it all and now he comes back? And so the father responds. Last week we talked about the father respond by, even though he came smelling like a pig, he responded by taking his best robe and clothing him, robing him in his finest robe, just as Jesus, when we came in the stench of our sin, Jesus robed us in his righteousness so that when, when the father looks upon us, he does not see our sin, he sees Jesus. When, when, if the father were to smell us, he doesn't smell the stench of sin. He smells the sweet aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that is a gift of God to us. Now, a, a question that people ask me all the time is, uh, you know what, Pastor, um, I'd really like to believe in this God, and I'd really like to have a relationship with this God, but, but there's just uh, some things that I, I need to settle in my heart first, and it's it's one of the big topics I'm going to try to tackle today. I don't have a lot of time. So, you know, you've heard it said that you're to eat an elephant one bite at a time. Well, we're going to swallow the whole enchilada today because uh, I've got one message. And, and, and it it's really surrounds uh, a lie and, and, and the gospel truth, the big question that people ask. So each week in this series, we've been talking about what is the lie uh, that you have probably believed uh, and you have, have instilled this lie into your belief system, even though you thought it was truth, but it was actually a lie. And so here's, here's the big lie that the enemy of humanity, Satan, a fallen angel, seeks to get people to, to hold on to, to grasp, and, and to confirm as truth in their mind. And that is this, that, that God is this angry judge 
that he, and he just wants to pour out his wrath on us, right? He just wants us to do something wrong so that he can just pour out his wrath and, you know, make us pay for what we've done, or, or it's a way of paying us back for what we have done. But the truth of the gospel is that, um, the truth of the gospel is that God is good, that God is good, but he is not indifferent to sin, okay? Even though the father received his son back, does not mean that the father was indifferent to the sins of his son, right? Somebody had to pay for that sin. Somebody had to pony up the cost, and it was the father who was willing to pay the price for his son's return, just as it is our heavenly father who was willing to pay the price through his son, Jesus Christ, for your sins and mine. So here's the big question that people ask, and really where people struggle when it comes to looking at God as this compassionate father. Well, if God is all good, and if God is all powerful, then why is there so much sin and suffering in the world? Why doesn't God just put an end to it? Why doesn't God just stop it? Uh, why does it continue on? Why does it seem to get getting worse? And in fact, if you were to look all the way back over human history, you'll note that there's never been a time where there has not been evil and suffering. So if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to look at God as this good, loving, merciful heavenly Father, please tell me uh, because I'm really struggling with this. How do how do I how do I look at God and, and say, well, you know, God doesn't seem very loving and compassionate, especially in the Old Testament. It seems like God in the Old Testament was nothing but a wrathful judge who couldn't wait to pour out his wrath on people. And, uh, you know, I'm having, you know, did, did God, like in the 400 year span of time between the Old and New Testament, did God like, you know, go to uh, classes on how to be better, uh, to act kinder and to be more merciful and more... You know, Loving? I mean, what happened? Why the shift? Why the change? And then I always get the, the, the big one that lowers the boom. And tell me, please tell me, tell me, tell me, why in the Old Testament is that God oftentimes, or at least sometimes, allowed his people to wipe out another nation. I mean, it wasn't just like killing the men or the soldiers. It was like, hey, you're to take out the men, the women, the children, the infants, the donkeys, the goats. You're to take them all out. Why is that? If God is so loving, kind, and compassionate, did he just flip a switch and all of a sudden after the cross, he became a different God? All right, so that's a big, big topic uh, that I'm going to try to tackle this morning because I know that for some of you, it is a roadblock. It is a roadblock to intimacy with the Father because you've been, you've been rolling this over in your mind and uh, if God is a good God and, and is love and compassionate, why is the world the way that it is? This argument or this objection to Christianity really came to the forefront back in the 18th century through a Scottish philosopher who was an atheist named David Hume. And David Hume says, this is why I do not believe in God or I cannot bring myself to believe in God. And he, he proposed three questions. And the first question was, if, if, is God willing to prevent evil, but he's not able? Is that the problem? Is that the case? In other words, uh, that means that God is impotent, that he, like, okay, I, I want to help, but I can't help, all right? Everything's gone, you know, amok, and uh, I really wish I could come down there and help you all out, but I just don't have the power to do that. Is that the problem? Is, is that why evil and suffering continues on 
even in our day and time? That was the question that he proposed. And probably many of you have read books that have had that worldview. And a worldview is a set of beliefs that uh, pictures how you see God, how you see the world, how you see yourself, and uh, everything from suffering to, to other issues of life. And so there are many books that came out that have that worldview in it, that God, you know, God would love to do something about evil and suffering, but he's just not able. So the second question he proposed was, then is he able but not willing? In other words, is it maybe he just doesn't care? Uh, maybe God just wound up the world like a clock, and he's just kind of letting it run its course, and he's sitting back and just kind of watching to see how it all turns out. Is that the problem? Is that where God's coming from? And his third question was, is he both able and willing? If he's both able and willing, then don't tell me that he is a good, loving, kind, gracious God because he's not doing anything about it. If he is able and willing, he ought to step in and put a stop to it. So these were the arguments that he proposed in his disbelief of God. And so when you look at the pain of the world around us, it's very problematic, right? So it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that there's a lot of pain that happens throughout our world every single day. Things that we are very aware of now because we have the technology to be aware of that. When I was growing up as a child, I mean, you would hear about some world events here and there, uh, but now we have cell phones. Uh, we, we can just pick up our smartphone and scroll through the world history. I mean, everything is going on around the world is in the palm of our hands now, and we know all the minute details of all the evil and the suffering that's taking place across our globe. But even that is really not the pushback for most people. The pushback is, is because pain, pain becomes very personal, very personal. There's not a single one of you sitting in this room who has not experienced some painful events in your life, and some of them very painful. Some of them started very early in life as a child. Maybe you had, as a child, you, you had a father that was abusive. Maybe he was an alcoholic. Uh, maybe your father died. Maybe both of your parents died. And, you know, you, early on in life, you lost your parents. There are all kinds of painful events that happen in our lives uh, very early on that cause us to kind of step back and say, well, you know, um, I, I'm really having a problem with God as Father uh, because of these issues in my life. And for some of you, maybe, um, maybe God, you feel like God had forgotten you in some place. And maybe there's a, a series of losses in your life, you know, uh, economic losses or maybe job losses or maybe you loved him, but he didn't love you back and you ended up divorced. And so there are all kinds of issues that create tremendous amounts of pain in our lives. Some of you have lost children, which is some of the deepest pain that you could ever experience. Uh, I remember, I remember the day like it was yesterday, the day that my mom received the news that my sister, who was 20 years old, was killed in a car accident, and I'm walking into my aunt and uncle's house where she is, and they had called me up, and I was, you know, heading to work and routed me there, and, and I knew that, you know, this uncle that called me, this was not normal, that something must be wrong, and I remember walking in that room and looking at my mother and just, the hollowness, the numbness, the aching that was so deep within her, it's just like her whole life just melted away. Some of you have experienced that who are in this congregation. 
Some of you experienced, you know, the loss of spouses, and you've gone through tremendous painful events uh, with parents and, and Alzheimer's and all the strokes and all the things that can happen in our lives. And it creates tremendous, tremendous amounts of pain in our lives. And we are asking ourselves the question, if we are honest, hey, hey, Lord, what about this? When is this going to end? When is this going to stop? Why is this happening to me? And often our emotional pain our emotional pain motivates us out of our, pers- our private convictions. And so often it is the stuff that happens to you that causes you to say, I just, I just can't believe in God or I just can't draw close to God. It's oftentimes, as I've, I've shared before, most people that I've ever talked to who are atheists, uh, when you really get, dig down, it is because there was some very painful event in their life that happened usually early on in life that caused them to disbelieve in God. Or at best, a person becomes agnostic. They may believe that God exists, but that God is not uh, um, personally involved in his creation. Again, if you you dig deep enough and you dig long enough, you're going to find that it is because of this issue of pain and suffering that has become very, very personal to them. And maybe you're here and you haven't experienced much tragedy in your life, and maybe God has spared you from a lot of that. Be thankful for that. Uh, but certainly you can look around the world and, and see how there's heartbreak just ripping uh, people apart. And so you ask God, when? When is it going to stop? So let me give you a basis of what I want to share with you today. Um, in, in the brief time that we have, and this is on your outline, and it is simply this statement, evil and suffering arise, evil and suffering arise from the paradox uh, freedom creates. Evil and suffering arise from the paradox that freedom creates. If you have an evolutionary viewpoint of life, uh, and you believe in determinism, where everything is just kind of biological and genetically determined, so that you have really, you, you don't have a lot of free will. In other words, uh, things are just driven. It's, uh, the theological equivalent of that would be uh, like predestination. And, and that's the idea that God is controlling everything, okay? So God's controlling everything. You really have very little freedom. You have really very little choice. Uh, some people determine it, term it as fatalism. It's just like, you know what? It's just happening. God's in control. There's nothing you can do about it. And so when you, when you think about this, it really filters down. For example, praying. I hear people say all the time, well, what's the, what in the world is the use of praying? God's just going to do what he wants to do anyways. Have you ever heard that? Have you said that? All right, Lord, what, what's, the, what's the point? I prayed and prayed and prayed. It didn't work out. You just did what you wanted to do, so why even do that? And uh, that can be very frustrating. Because then you hear a message on God wants to be the Father and God wants to be inter, you know, intimately involved in your life and God wants to help you with this and God wants you to pray and he wants you to seek him and all these things. But Lord, I've done that, I've tried that, been there, done that. It just doesn't work for me. The way this makes most sense is that if you think about your relationships, because at the very heart of the Christian faith and human existence is this thing called love. It's not that God has love. God is love. That is who he is. That it, so God wanted to create beings, angelic beings, human beings in his image. And so he created us with this capacity of love. 
right? So everybody wants love. Everybody values love. Atheists value love. Agnostics value love. Uh, it doesn't matter what world religion you go to. They value love. It is at the heart of who we are. And think about how love works. Love only works if there is freedom. See, I can't force you to love me. I can't even make you like me if you don't want to. And as parents, you know this with your kids, right? Have you ever had your children warring with each other, which is just what they do? And then you try to force them to, to express love. Hey, tell your, tell your sister you're sorry. Sorry. Yeah, so try to force that on them. See how that goes. You know, with our daughters, at uh, one point, I just said, you know what? I, went, I just sat them both on the couch, and I said, I want you to hold hands until you tell each other you're sorry and you love each other. How'd that go? They just fell asleep. They weren't were going to cave. See, you know as well as I do, you, you can't force love if, if there's going to be love, there has to be freedom, because if, if you're controlling, if, if somebody's controlling, trying to control you, you will say things like, they're not very loving, because they're so controlling. You cannot control people. You cannot control love. Love, uh, love is something that must be free to either accept or reject, Right? So just like, you know, when you were in high school and you, you saw that girl, you saw that guy, you know, he asked you out or whatever, and it's like, you know, you wanted them to give you the big yes, and they gave you the big no. It's like, well, what's the first thing you thought about? What's wrong with me? You know, you, you ran home, you looked in the mirror, you're like, did I have this big zit in my head, and they were focused on that, or, you know, is, what's wrong with me that they would, they would turn me down? I mean, I, I'm a gym, Right? <laughs> you see, freedom and love only works when freely given. Any forced love is really not love at all. Now, here's the, here's the key. You want, this is not on your outline. You want to jot this down, though. Freedom, because love is, has to be free, free, freedom has a shadow side. In the same way you are free to love, you are free to hate. In the same way that you are free to give, you are free to steal. See, there's a shadow side to the freedoms that God has given to us that can be used for evil purposes, that can create a tremendous amount of suffering in your life. See, it might be that you're sitting across from a coworker that you guys, you just like, you're like sandpaper. You just don't get along. Uh, it might be a personality conflict or, or maybe it's some other issue. And, and you know, as a Christian, you know, you know, God's telling you to love your enemies and do good towards them and pray for them. And, and so, but you know, you have the freedom to choose, right? You're either going to choose to follow what Jesus taught you to do, or you're going to choose not to. You're going to choose to withhold. That's, that's the freedom that love has. But the shadow side of that is the opposite. The same way we have a capacity for good, we have a capacity for evil. So that kind of explains our planet, right? Why we keep feeding, fighting each other generation after generation. Why we keep beating each other up. Why we have the capacity to destroy our entire planet if there is enough hatred and enough nuclear weapon, weapons stockpiled in order for that to happen. 
Somebody just might get the bright idea. You know what? I hate them so much, I'm going to push the button. So for God to have created us, people say, well, did not God create evil? No. He did create the potential for it. And the reason there was the potential for it, because God created us to be beings of love. And where there is love, there must be freedom. So when God created Lucifer and all of his angelic beings, he created them with the capacity of love, the capacity of freedom, to choose whether to obey God, to worship God, to follow God, or to rebel against him. And so Lucifer decided to rebel against him, as well as a third of the angels. They decided, we're going to rebel. Adam and Eve in the garden, they had the decision, they had the choice to make whether or not they would love God, follow God, obey God, trust God, or they would choose not to do that. And they chose not to do that. And so that unleashed the potential now for evil and suffering. Because prior to the fall, there was no evil, there was no suffering, there were none of the things that you and I deal with day in and day out in our lifetime. So what is at the center of that? Freedom. Do we seek peace or do we not seek peace? Do I stay married or do I get a divorce? Do I ask for forgiveness or do I bear a grudge? God doesn't want us to be forced into a relationship with him. He wants those who would love him freely. That's why God will not force you into this relationship. God will not force you. He's not going to kick open the door of your heart. He'll knock on the door of your heart. He won't kick it in. He's not going to kick you into heaven. He's not going to chain you up and drag you into heaven. That's why there is an alternative to being with God or to be without God. Every human being has that capacity, that freedom to choose. And because of that, we have the capacity and the freedom to bring great pain and suffering in our lives. Sometimes our pain and suffering is of our own doing. Sometimes our pain and suffering comes at the hands of others. 90% of all suffering you're going to encounter in this lifetime is going to be as the result of probably somebody else and their decisions and what they decide to do. For example, terrorism. One of the terrorists one of the terrible things about terrorism is you don't know when it's coming. You're blindsided, right? You just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus was asked this question about a tower that fell and killed people. And they were, he was asked, you know, Lord, what's going on? It, it, basically, Jesus' response was, they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, if you're going to travel throughout this world in foreign lands, you're taking a risk. That's just bottom line. You're taking a risk. Am I going to allow fear to keep me from traveling in foreign lands? No, but I, I probably am not going to like want to take, you know, a road trip through Afghanistan or maybe Pakistan or someplace like that. But uh, you can either let fear keep you, you, you from living life. People say to me, why do, you, why do you ride a motorcycle? That's so dangerous. You're right. It is dangerous. But so is being in a car. So is being in an airplane here recently. There are a lot of things that are dangerous that can bring suffering into our lives. 
And so here's where I get the big, 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 big pushback. And it's like, okay, pastor, all right, I, I get this. God created potential for evil and suffering. And we as humans bring most of that you know, suffering upon ourselves uh, and, and the way you know, people are. And certainly there are those who have hearts that are just like pure evil and, and do just horrendous things to people. It's always been that way. Um, I bought a magazine. It's, it's articles on like the top 20 uh, most ruthless dictators. My wife looked at it and she says, why in the world did you buy that? Because I, want, I wanted to see what makes these guys tick. I wanted to try to understand their mindset, how they became what they became. What is it that happened in their lives that caused them to go down that road? And, and certainly there is, there is a, it, when you're that purely evil, there is a demonic issue. I understand, I get that. But at some point they had to come in agreement with the evil one in order to go down that pathway that would lead to such atrocities uh, uh, you know, in the lives of people. So people say, well, what about the Old Testament? Here, here's the biggest struggle. I struggle with a God who lets innocent children suffer with no earthly consequences uh, upon these people who, who committed these acts. I just don't get it. I don't understand why God would allow, for example, Israel to go in and to take out an entire nation and tell them to kill the men, women, children, infants, cattle, everything. I don't get it. Can I be honest? Sometimes neither do I. And so I had to go on a journey of my own and say, Lord, you know, what, why? why? Why is this? Why, why does that allow? So I want you to look in Isaiah uh, 55 and verses 8 and 9. Let's see how much time I got here. Oop. All right, so um, 55, 8 and 9. So here's one of the things that God uh, taught me early on. Um, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, this is God's way of saying there's a huge, huge gap between myself and you. Remember last week we said that God is transit. It's transcendent, which means he is outside of his creation. He's not limited by time, space, or matter. Um, we are, all right? So because we have limitations, sometimes we superimpose our limitations upon God. And we say, God, I don't understand this. Therefore, uh, we feel, um, we feel um, not obligated, but maybe we feel entitled to be a little critical of God. Uh, God, I don't understand this. I don't, you know, if I were God, right? If I were God, this is the way I would have done it. This is the way I would have handled it. This is what, I, and so what God is saying to us, there is an ontological uh, state of being, an ontological gap uh, between who God is and his nature and character and who we are. And we are not God. And so he created the universe and, um, and so we, we really are very limited in our understanding of the whole scope uh, of what God, listen, what God had in his mind before he ever created the heavens and the earth, right? So, so when God sent Jesus to the cross, it wasn't like, oops, 
Adam and Eve sinned, I got to come up with a solution. No, 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 no. The Bible says even before God created them, he already knew what was going to happen and he had already planned on how he was going to deal with that situation. So think of it like this. Does your pet dog really understand what it's like to be human? Now, I didn't include cats because they don't. Uh, just right up front. I'm sorry. Now, if you have a bad day, your, your dog picks up on that. If you're ill, your dog will pick up on that. They have great instincts about what you may be going through emotionally um, and, and what your mood is. I mean, there, there are certainly um, aspects that, of my dog that could, God rest his soul, uh, that could have... Um, I'm sorry, I don't have a dog anymore. Um, thank you. I've had a dog since I was like five years old, and this is my first big gap. Go ahead, all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but but you, don't, you, you, you don't see dogs reading books. Uh, you, don't, you don't see them voting. Uh, you don't see them running for office. See, there, there are aspects of humanity they, they can understand, they can relate to, but they're not human. And that's kind of the way it is with us and God. I mean, there are certain aspects of God we are created in His image that we understand, that we relate to, but God is so far beyond us that we, we can't even begin to fathom or grasp, not even intellectually or emotionally, what it is that God knows that we don't. Because he sees, what, remember, because he's not locked in time, God doesn't see, he's not locked into like the calendar. He sees from eternity past to eternity future. So God is always present. And what God is saying in a very kind way, as kind as he could, is it's like, you know what? I, I, I know that the, the, these issues are very hard for you to deal with, for hard for you to understand, hard for you to grasp. And in our finite minds, uh, we, we, we just, you know, we, we, we deal with it, we grapple with it as, as we should, and that is good, but there's just some things that we, there's just far beyond our ability to grasp, so we, we need to know that from the outset, but, but now I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, and so uh, there's a word I want you to see, because uh, really this kind of helps uh, flesh out some things about that, what God knows that we don't know. Um, and so in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says in verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up out of Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy you might want to circle that, totally destroy that, circle the word destroy. Everything that belongs to them, do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. And people read that, something like that, and they're like, uh-huh, see, right, right there. <laughs> this is what I don't understand, and this is, this is really a stumbling block for me. Why is God so bent on, like, wiping out the Amalekites? So let me... Gosh, you got five minutes. Let me uh, unpack this. First of all, you need to understand 
We see everything that we read in the Bible through the eyes of Jesus. Right? We're post-cross, post-resurrection. And so the cross brought into the realm of humanity a new morality. A, a, a morality, a new value system. And whether a person is a Christian or not a Christian, they have become the recipient of that new value system, that new sense of morality that is filled with love and mercy and forgiveness and grace and kindness. Though not exclusively Christian, they did come together in a powerful way in Christianity in a way that they never had prior to that. And so we live on the other side of God's final word of love, which is the cross of Calvary. Right, so so keep that in mind. So you want to believe in you know God's love, grace, mercy, second chances? Yeah, that's that's what love does. But you have to understand, prior to Jesus, um, nations uh, populated the world, and these nations were not like uh, were not like the United States. Okay, they were more like ISIS. They were brutal. They were ruthless. They believed in conquering, survival of the fittest. Um, they offered their children as sacrifices to the gods. Uh, no nation was satisfied with the amount of land they had. They were always trying to fight other nations to try to overtake them, to, to kill them, to, to, to do to them before it was done to them. So uh, to do to others before it was done to them. So this is kind of the, the world. Remember when, when humanity fell, that by the time you got to Genesis 6, that the Bible says that people were only doing what was evil. So much so that God, God flooded the world. And started over through Noah and his sons. Um, here's what I want you to know about the Amalekites. The Amalekites were given a chance. See, God established Israel to be his people, to be his lighthouse, so that people would come and they would, they would fall under the guidance and the protection of God himself. God gave the Amalekites 400 years to repent and to come to him through Israel. But they refused. They just continued as a, a, a war nation. And says, he says, even when they came out of Egypt, all of a sudden, man, they're, they're trying to wipe out Israel. So the word I had you um, underline, des destroy. Uh, remember, the Bible's not written in English. Uh, it, the Old Testament's in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word there is sharam, which is interesting. It, it, some of your translations might say completely destroy. Um, the word destroy means to completely devote. Uh, the, the other Hebrew word, habal, that means to torture, to destroy, or to wound. And you say, well, why, why is that important? Well, because what God wanted to do is that he wanted, through, he, he wanted all nations to come and to devote themselves to him. So, so God has sin. Remember, what's our gospel truth? God is good, but he's not indifferent to sin. All sin leads to death. Somebody has to pay the penalty, the price 
for that sin, right? So God wanted the people, the nations, to come and devote themselves to God as the result of seeing the nation of Israel and how their God had, had so blessed them and so protected them. Here's the problem, is that Israel kept becoming like the nations around them. See, we can have the same thing happen to us. We have been called out as ambassadors we have been commissioned to make disciples, but if we're not careful, we can become so like the world around us that people are not going to come and devote themselves to Christ because why in the world should they? We look just like they do. And so this is what's happened to Israel is oftentimes that they were, you know, in and out and up and down all over the place with God. But what God really wanted, these, this nation of the Amalekites, I mean, again, they practiced bestiality and rape and child and sacrifice. You know, they, they the Canaanites, all the other ites, and so I know this is not emotionally satisfying to you, but we, we think of death as the worst thing that can happen to us. See, it, the really, really, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to show us that how bad sin is and how it contaminates everything it touches. And all the sinful nations around Israel kept contaminating Israel. And so for, in order for God to protect Israel from their contamination... There are times in which God had to, had to put an end to it. He had to cut out the cancer. They said, well, but that's not fair. But God tried to bring them to himself for years and years and years. Now, look in Isaiah chapter 57. And let me just throw another aspect, and we'll, we'll wind this up. I'll, I'll get you to make sense of this here in a minute. I'm just kind of throwing out pieces of the puzzle and... Um, Isaiah uh, 57, verses 1 and 2. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. You see, we think that death is the worst thing that can happen to us when the fact of the matter is turning your back on God is the worst thing that can happen to you. Jesus says, don't fear people who can kill the body, but fear God who has the power over your soul. Watch this. When these infants were killed, when these children were put to death, they were under the umbrella of God's grace. They went on to paradise. They went on to Abraham's bosom. They were not like sent to hell because they were innocent children and infants. They had not reached an age of accountability, whatever that age is. See, even in our society, human law acknowledges there is a difference between an 8-year-old who commits a crime and a 28-year-old. And not, not treated one in the same, right? It's our sense of justice that God has instilled to us through his image. And so we live in a world where today's victims become tomorrow's perpetrators. In other words, had God just let this go on and on and on, guess what these children would have done? They'd have grown up and became just like their parents. Warmongers. ISIS in the Old Testament. 
But God needed to put a stop to it because he gave them 400 years to repent. Obviously, they weren't going to repent. The same thing happened with Jonah. Remember when Jonah was commissioned to go to Nineveh and Nineveh was, you know, of the Assyrians and the Assyrians were like, you know, the Amalekites. They were brutal. They were ruthless, you know, warmongers. And uh, Jonah didn't want to go. Why? Because they were enemies of Israel. And Jonah says, hey, God, I'm, I'm not going. I don't want these people to receive your grace. I don't want them to repent and turn to you and then have you forgive them for what they've done. So he goes the opposite direction. He ends up in the belly of a whale. He spit out on the shore. He goes up and he preaches. And guess what? Boom, the whole city gives their life to God. And what's Jonah do? Does he rejoice about the fact they've just received God's blessing and God's grace? No, he goes up and sits on the side of a hill and starts pouting and complaining about what God has done. The one who creates life is the one who determines when it ends. God is not ruthless. In fact, the words love and mercy are found more in the Old Testament than they are in the New. Now, every, watch, every worldview has to answer this issue of, of suffering and pain. Every worldview. It doesn't matter if you're atheist or you're Buddhist or you're Islamic or Hindu. I mean, I can give you their answers, their solutions. Uh, you know, for example, the Hindus who, who worship thousands and thousands of gods, you know, it's, it's karma. It's just you're just getting what you deserve. And so if you go to India, you can't help the poor. You're not allowed to help the poor because they're in karma. Uh, they obviously did something wrong in their previous life and they're paying, you know, getting paid back in this life. And if you help them, you're going to mess up their karma and they're going to have to go through the cycle all over again. So, you know, every world religion, no one can back up and say, well, well, we don't have to answer this question. Sure you do. Here's God's answer, and I close with this. It's really a threefold answer. I wish I could have had time to unpack it, but I don't. And here it is. Look, look, here's God's response. Jesus answered suffering by embracing it personally. Please, please just jot down Isaiah 53 and take the time just to read that chapter very, very carefully. And listen to how God selected the words. Jesus embraced suffering. God, listen, God doesn't understand from a distance. God is sitting on this lofty throne who has never experienced any kind of touch of pain, evil, or suffering in his own life. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, knows exactly what it's like to experience pain and evil and suffering. Number two, Jesus offers us the redemption of our suffering. In other words, again, read carefully Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 through 11. Is that Jesus, listen, God can take any painful event in our life and he can redeem it. He can use it. Suffering never leaves you spiritually neutral. You will either draw closer to God or you would be driven away. I'm just here to tell you that if you will embrace 
the cross of Calvary as Jesus embraced suffering. If you embrace Jesus, God can redeem your suffering. I've had some horrendous things happen to me that were extremely painful, and I've made huge mistakes by responding in the wrong way, but I've discovered when you respond in the right way, given enough time, God can take the most painful events in your life, and he can redeem them in order to reach the hearts and the lives of people that God wants to what? He wants to draw them to himself. And it's through those painful events in your life that God opens the doorways that gives you access to people that you would have never had access to. Here's number three. God, the God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. He longs to embrace you. My wife gave me this verse this morning, and I close with this. Out of 2 Samuel 14, 14, Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. God longs to embrace us in the midst of our pain. So here's, here's my conclusion. When I struggled with these things, and I, and I could go a lot deeper in all these things, trying to do this in one message, I need to make it a whole series. Um, here's my response. Listen, if, if I can trust God in the things that I do know, and the experiences I've had with God, and what God has done for me, and how he's worked through the painful events in my life, then I can assuredly trust him in the things I don't understand. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, I understand everything about God. I don't. There are things that he does and ways that he does it. Just, it just confuses me sometimes. But there are so many things that I know and I trust in and I do understand. So I will continue to trust him even in the things I don't fully understand. But here's one thing I do know. This old world... It's not the final answer. It's a t God created you not for time. God created you for eternity. Your life on this earth, if it lasts 70, 80, 90, I'll give you 100 years. Compare that to eternity that never ends. It is a blip on the radar screen for what God has gone and prepared for us as his children. Let's bow our heads together.